What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome back to So Very Wrong About Games. It's a new year. It's 2018. And here we go. A wise man once said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Thank God we're sitting down. I'm here with my friend Mark Bigney. How are you today, Mark? I'm quite well, Walker. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. All right. So this year we're going to mix it up a little bit more. Instead of our our usual order, first we're going to do the games we played this week, then the news, then our feature game, and then our topic, which this year is New Year's Resolutions. And to start off, let's do an errata. Last week, I talked about Baron Park, where on my list, it was next on the list, where I had meant to say patchwork. So if listening to last week's episode, every time I say Baron Park, just insert patchwork, and we should be good. Baron Park is not a Uwe Rosenberg game. Indeed not. It was designed by Phil Walker Harding. Uh, we regret the error. Uh, it's a great tragedy. Everyone has suffered tremendously because of our moments, moment, momentary lapse. I have beseeched our my co-host's good name in the gaming community, and for that, I do not apologize. <laughs> good to know. All right, so games we played this week. What do you got for us first, Mark? Well, one game we played was we pulled out Through the Desert again. Through the Desert is a, a 1998 Somewhat classic. I, I, I'm not comfortable, even though it was from the previous century and now 20 years old, I'm not comfortable with calling something a classic unless it's truly, truly ancient. More on all that later. But uh, this is a Renner Knizia tile laying game involving pastel camels. I adore this game. I've been playing it for years. It's, uh, it's, it's usually... It's not always a huge hit because it's a very dry game, no pun intended. Uh, it's very, it's a perfect information, no luck game, and also that tends to be somewhat punishing for newbies. You know, the experienced player at the, at, at the table might conceivably double the score of people who don't know what they're doing. It also has a minor unfortunate element in that a lot of the early decisions are front-loaded. The setup can be very, very determinative of how the rest of the game plays. It's not nearly as bad as Settlers. I've seen lots of games of Settlers where after the initial setup, someone's just completely out of the game and they don't have a chance. Through the Desert is definitely not that bad. Uh, But all that having been said, all those negatives out the way, Through the Desert is a masterwork. It's uh, an absolutely brilliant game. If you haven't played it yet, give it a shot. It's been recently reprinted, as I understand it. Every edition has had the all-important pastel camels. My edition has uh, eight languages in the rulebook, which is an advantage. I now now know how to say pastel camel in eight different languages. And that will come in so useful in the future. I can see many instances where you would use that 
I can I can travel the world. It, it, it's true. There are no doors closed to me. I know how to say pastel camel, so everything's solved. Yeah, that was a great. It's a great game. I it's been on my shelf forever, and uh, I hardly ever get it to the table. But as soon as I played it once, I loved it. Not very many games. I haven't seen a game use that mechanic. Yeah, people have described it. I think somewhat accurately as multiplayer go, in in a way because it it is very much about blocking off people uh, blocking off territory on the board and controlling that and very much about controlling tempo it's you know from multiplayer abstracts of that nature a very deterministic uh positioning games like that they tend overwhelmingly to be two players and so the multiplayer ones when they're good tend to be very versatile and 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 good through the deserts one another game is uh, fealty by eric royce that was the first published design of the guy who did uh, spirit island uh, I'm not a huge abstract fan, but the ones that do work, I I, I quite enjoy. And uh, yeah, Through the Desert deserves its its high status, and I'm glad it's back in print. Yeah, and it scales very well, you know, whatever players. Not so much with two, but I mean, anything above two, I think it plays the same, if not better. Yeah, the, the it, it does very, very subtle board changes for, for multiple people and subtle things with the camel supply, but no. It, it, and the right. fact that all you're doing is placing two camels, it goes around the table quite quickly and plays yep. out nothing overly complex. Absolutely. One of my games is the Santorini by the same company, Roxley Games, the same company that did Steampunk Rally. And they redid Santorini with gorgeous board game components and all god powers like they had in the old one. Just a lot, whole much, a whole, whole bunch more. They had a huge Kickstarter and I think it looks gorgeous on the table. Really easy to learn. Either you have to move, place a building. If you can't do that, you lose. If you get to the level three, you win. Nice, basic, quick to set up, plays out wonderfully. I think we got like 10 games in in like half an hour. It was great. Yeah, it's a beautiful production. I actually really like the original production as well, the sort of austere, abstract, uh, white and black elements of it. But yeah, the new edition is is beautiful. It's getting a mass market release apparently. Isn't it showing up in Target stores Yeah, in the that's US? what I've heard, that there's a Target edition. Although it seems as though the one that I got is the Target Edition because it says all of the rules for the Golden Fleeces is included in the main game. Where when you look at the rules online, sure enough, in that rule book they're included. But in the one that I got that I did not pay the Target price for, there are no rules for the Golden Fleece. But who knows what the deal is with that. Maybe it's the Canadian Edition. Huh. I'll look more into that later. Yeah, Santorini's great. It's uh, one of those games that's very much not for me because it's a, it's a, it's very puzzly. It's a very puzzly kind of abstract, which it's just I just not able to do. I'm too dumb. Can't do it. But yeah, you're right. Plays quickly, simple, great game. All right, what's next on your list? We played uh, Beowulf: The Legend, another Reiner Knizia game of old, back when he was designing uh, good gamers games. Beowulf: The Legend got a very bad rap when it first came out, uh, in part because I think people were expecting something slightly different. It was. It looked a heck of a lot like his Lord of the Rings co-op game, which, in many ways, sort of gave a shot in the arm to the. Yeah, very heavy on the symbology, right? Yeah, the symbology. The I mean, it's the same artist, which definitely adds to the uh, the impression that they're 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 going to be similar. This is a push your luck hand management game, and it reminds me a lot of another Knizia design, which is Taj Mahal. Taj Mahal, I've never really enjoyed. I want to like it. It's a game I respect more than actually enjoy. But Beowulf is very similar in that you've got these cards. You know that you're going to have these challenges with other players where it's basically a function of chicken. And it's got this additional element of of gambling on top of the chicken, which works really well. A lot of people 
think that it's it's too luck dependent, but I actually think that much of the game is knowing when you can afford to bust. It's a question of every time you basically pull the lever of the, of, of the slot machine, if you will, uh, people often don't know when they're able to pull it. It's just if you can't if you can't handle the negative consequences, you shouldn't be doing it in the first place. And so some people say it's like, oh, if only this had worked, then I would have been fine. It's like, well, no, you shouldn't have gambled in the first place. You weren't in a position where you could gamble. Anyway. I really enjoy the game. It's it's really accessible. It's only really good with four or five, uh, but it's it's one of those underappreciated gems. It's I true. think I, I, I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. But can you? I want you to tell me where this theme comes through in this game. Where is Beowulf in this game? Okay, here's the deal. Uh, so it's. <sighs> I'm of two minds about this, and I've read I've read some some interesting articles on both sides. I, I, a guy by the name of Chris Farrell, who's uh, he, he's got his own blog called Illuminating Games, and he also comments prolifically on BoardGameGeek. Uh, he and I are on the same page on a lot of things, particularly uh, war game design and, and thematic integration. He he's, he's also a big Knizia fan, and he thinks that Beowulf is about as thematic as Euros get. And I'm sympathetic to his overall point because his, his, his basically, I'll, I'll try to encapsulate it this way and I'm probably not going to do a good job. If you look at the original stories uh, the, the, and, and similar kinds of epics of, of similar age, it's about, basically it's about bravery, it's about courage, it's about knowing when to get punched in the face, it's about outlasting whatever challenge gets thrown at you. And uh, Beowulf is very much a game that evokes that feel. It doesn't... Most of the time, we as gamers expect adventure games to be all about, you know, rolling hit dice for combat. And if it doesn't have that, we, natu- we naturally assume that it has nothing to do with adventure or anything like that. But Beowulf is instead about challenge and daring and risk. And that's what it seeks to emulate in those sort of epic stories of adventurers and heroes. How far that gets you, I don't know. I appreciate it primarily on a mechanical level. And it does indeed signpost you. It's like, well, this is when you're partying with Hrothgar, and this is when you're fighting the Sea Hag, and this is when the dragon breathes fire in your face, and someone will die. Uh, so that you know, those elements are very much the sort of par for the course in game design. That the events are entitled after famous scenes in the stories, and sometimes it's very evocative. Like when the dragon attacks, someone's probably going to die. So that I think is really clever. But, look, how, how much theme you're going to get out of it, I think, is largely a function of what it is you're expecting, what it is you're looking for. But if you let the game speak for itself, I think you're going to get the broad brush of a sort of uh, a bunch of not necessarily too smart, adventuring Middle English dudes who are, um, who are going to go and punch people in the face and get punched in the face in turn. And whoever's left standing with the fewest scars, or at least the best stories about those scars, will win. All of this is to say I don't find it particularly thematic, but I don't think it's as unthematic as people say that it is. True enough. Next on my list is the new one from Portal Games, Alien Artifacts. I only played it once, so I don't have a lot to say about it. Usually when I play a new game, I look for the hook, right? What what does it do that's new? What is it that's going to bring it back to the table? And I didn't see it in the first playthrough. Not that it was a bad game or anything. I definitely want to try it several more times. But it's a really neat game. It, it sort of employs their 51st state, Imperial Settlers, you know, three different categories, cards on both sides. It doesn't really pull a lot from other than that, but I really like it. Both the, all the cards are double-sided, so you can either have them, you know, as active or deactive, and they give you all sorts of different abilities, and everyone has their own unique powers. So I'm looking forward to more plays. 
So it's another card-driven tableau builder, right? Correct. How much... I, I did... Having read the rulebook, I will say the following. Number one, it is probably one of Portal Games' better rulebooks. I haven't played the game myself, so maybe it's one of those rulebooks where you read everything, everything seems to make sense, you sit down to play and nothing makes sense. Uh, but I don't. I didn't seem like that. It did, it did certainly seem like the fact that all the cards are double-sided and can do multiple duty. Does that give you a sense of, of freedom or flexibility, or, does, or is it just overwhelming? No, it's definitely... Freedom and flexibility, because not only do you, can you see the three next cards that are available for purchase, but when you go to purchase those cards, you can pay a little bit extra and draw multiple cards off the top and choose from those. And then once you do get them, and you even have a quick reference chart and tell you that tells you what's on the back of. Usually, the what the other side is the same on most of the category, so it'll okay. say okay in this category they're all going to be like this. So you don't have to constantly pick up a card so you can't see what the next one is. It's like it's that type of card, so the back is going to say this. That being said, I want to get back to what you're talking about the rule book. We literally did not even read the rule book. They had to watch it played. We watched that and just went in right to playing when we just referenced the rule book when something was unclear. Yeah. I don't Is I'm, that going to be the future of rule books? I certainly hope not. But maybe rule books are so bad now because people know that no one uses them. Who's to say? Well, why do they not use them, right? Because they've, they've been poorly, so poorly written in the past, maybe. I'm not sure. Like, it's one of these... Some people genuinely prefer to have rules explained to them, and that's fine. And for those people who would like to skip the rulebook and have it explained to somebody who's very good at explaining rules, that's cool. I personally would prefer a universe in which those people who are very, very good at explaining rules write all the rulebooks instead. But that's not going to happen, so we're left with designers writing the rulebook in the last five minutes, not blind, blind playtesting it. And then the, uh, the good people like Rodney and Paul Grogan receive these scattered nonsense documents and try to force it into some semblance of making sense. But There you are. What else do you have on your list, Jerry? We played uh, Tayem Nietzsche de Mostvo, which is the Eastern European version of Mysterium. And I've got the older uh, Polish edition, which is not even as old as the Ukrainian edition, which is, I believe, what the first edition was. And uh, I really, I, I slightly prefer the Eastern European version to Time Nietzsche de Mosvo to, uh, to Mysterium. I like the artwork a little bit better. I think the rule set's a little bit cleaner. Uh, the salient rules difference between the two is that in the American version in, in Mysterium, you bet on whether your friends are right or wrong on their guesses, which introduces a very strange dynamic that I don't quite enjoy. A, a pseudo sort of hoping your friends will fail or... or, or, or it's just it, it it rubs me the wrong way. The, the one thing that I really hate though about Mysterium, and this is this is one thing that I where I strongly strongly prefer the Eastern European version, is in the Eastern European version in the end game you can still collaborate. In the very final stage of the game, you can still talk to your friends and try to make your case as to why you think a certain answer is correct and help people out. In the American version, in the end game, you're not allowed to speak to each other. It's all secret, and I don't like it when cooperative games. Try to try to shackle you or say, okay, now everyone's playing by themselves. Does it suddenly put a point system in and say whoever has the most points is the actual winner? You don't win as a team, even though you've been a team for the whole game. Now we're going to throw some points in at the end, and you know there's going to be one winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sim similar problem. And it, it's even there's even uh, another minor consequence. This this almost never happens, but it's actually the case that if you are too successful in Mysterium, if you're correct all the time. You're actually penalized in the end game. You actually need enough time 
to make wrong guesses to accumulate enough points so that the end game is easier. It's 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 a bizarre set of, of things and it's it's a little clunky and too many components, blah blah blah. Anyway, that all of that having been said. It's got the screen. The screen is beautiful, yes. Absolutely. The screen for Mysterium is great. Uh, the Eastern European edition does not needs absolutely at the minimum a card holder, and a card holder is probably insufficient. A, a screen would be better. And I I do enjoy the game in whatever form I play it. It's Clue meets Dixit. You know, it's the cooperative game of trying to trying to give people dreams. The asymmetry is nice. Being the ghost, the one giving the clues, feels different from receiving the clues. The sweet, beautiful recriminations that people hurl at each other. It's like, my job's, uh, your job's easy, help me out here. No, 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 my job's the hard one. You don't understand how easy you've got it. Uh, I, that kind of tension I do enjoy. Um, and uh, it, I've, I've, it's great for non-gamers as well. They're not going to understand how the game works until it starts. I mean, at the core, it's very simple. It's like, here are some pictures. Associate them with this other picture. And then the rest of the structure becomes clear later. Anyway. Always a great time. Yeah, I was surprised how 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 well it's been accepted by the Saturday night group. Right, we're usually Ameritrash wargaming, and suddenly we now we're playing this abstract, you know, storytelling card game. I was pretty surprised how 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 enamored they are with it. It's a great game. Yeah. One last game that I'd like to talk about is so last night was New Year's Eve, and we went to a New Year's Eve party and we played Trivial Pursuit, and I. Hate. Hate. Trivia Pursuit. Here's the thing. I, first of all, I hate trivia games. Trivia to me, and this is a minor terminological quibble that I'm I'm not actually going to rest on, but I don't think trivia is much of a game, because either you know the answer or you don't. How about Wits and Wagers, though? Can we just throw a quick side in for Wits and Wagers? That's why Wits and Wagers is is the definitive uh, trivia game, as far as I'm concerned, because it recognizes that actually coming up with the right answer is not really a game. You either know it or you don't. And it's also the case, another thing that Wits and Wagers does, that Trivia, trivia Pursuit fails miserably, is Wits and Wagers understands that for reasons of consistency, it's good if all the questions are formulated the same way. Every question Wits and Wagers has a number as an answer. Part of that is just by necessity, but part of it also helps, and I don't know if this was deliberate or not, it helps streamline the questions so that all they're all the same format. In Trivial Pursuit, it could be true-false. It could be choose from this list of three things. It could be pick a name, pick a number, pick a place, or any of these combinations of things. There were, we played, first of all, Trivial Pursuit, when played by the actual rules, is going to take you seven years. It's absurdly overlong. And that's even assuming that you're playing with smart people. If you're playing with idiots, you're never going to end. Uh, and I was at the table, so you knew at least that, that some of that wasn't going to come to a conclusion. We played by uh, dummy rules to, to, to quicken things. And even then, it was taking far too long, and it was blessed relief. Even to the rest of the people at the table who were more inclined towards trivia when the thing finally came to an end. There were, I would say, a solid 10% of the questions made me furious because of how bad they were. Just because of how badly they were formulated, or because it sounded like marketing copy. Some of it sounded like ads, honestly. No no joke. And any time there was a question about a subject where I knew even a little bit, it was sometimes grotesquely inappropriate. You could ask uh, uh, somebody who's an expert, a 100% expert on the field, and they wouldn't know how to answer the question because they wouldn't know what, what specifically you were looking for. I, I'll give you the specific example. Let me just... I, I, oh man, I hated this game. The question was, what group was... What, uh, what radical group was, was responsible for the reign of terror during uh, the, the French Revolution? And it's like, well, look, there were... 
you know, three or four prominent intellectual clubs that people were members of. There were three or four prominent um, uh, cults of personality, effectively, around these people that were sometimes coextensive of, but not necessarily reducible to, those social clubs. There were the broad social movement called the Sanculottes. There were uh, a variety of flash political parties that that that, that grew. What what on earth you're looking for? They were looking for one of the social clubs, not even the only one, just one of them. It's like, so here I am, if I'd received the question, I didn't. It's like, well, I could list you half a dozen things that could answer that question. I don't know which one you're looking for. They were looking for the Jacobin. And sure, the Jacobin were very influential. And you could write a decent question where Jacobin is the only answer. But don't write me a question where there's six different answers. It was a huge deal. What, like, what caused the reign of terror? I mean, come on, guys. Like, lots of things did. Anyway. 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 So, and it has role to move, right? And it, has, best, and it has role to move. Yes. And Wits and Wagers is a question that, that is asked to every player, and they all get to answer. Like, I think it's an amazing game. Yeah, Wits and, I, uh, Wits and Wagers is by far my favorite trivia game. I'm not a huge fan because I still don't like trivia. But yeah, you, you can then... It's, it was designed explicitly as the trivia game for people who don't like trivia games, and it did a great job. So please, if you like trivia and you have a copy of, Twi- of uh, Trivial Pursuit, burn it. And go get yourself Wits and Wagers by uh, Dominic Capuchet. It's 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 infinitely better. Anyhow, there you go. On to the news we go. On to the news. There was tons of news. Like I don't even know where to start with the news. I no no. There was the where. And truth be told, there is lots of news, and none of it interested me whatsoever, except for one thing, and that is DC Spyfall. So there's going to be <laughs> there's going to be a Spyfall game set in the DC universe. Where the Joker's the spy, and you're going to be able to locations like the Batcave and and all sorts of like cool superhero settings. And there's going to be a variant where someone can play Harlequin, where their job is to give Joker clues of where they are, but everyone has an opportunity to point to like same as you know Avalon type game sure. where they can point in who they think Harlequin is, and then they all lose. But I think it's going to be. For the for the geeky you know comic nerds out there, this is going to be a fantastic variant for uh, Spyfall. But how many jobs are they going to be able to put for something like? I don't know. They're going to have like henchmen and mad scientist and no, and no, sure, lackey but and say the location is the Batcave or even worse, the Fortress of Solitude, <laughs> right? How many jobs can you put there? Because one of the one of the things that I think makes Spyfall sing, or at least gives it a lot of context, is when people play to their specific roles printed on the card. It's like, well, we're on a cruise ship, but I'm the I'm a waiter. I'm a I'm a I'm a fat tourist or whatever. I'm always the fat tourist, but that helps. It gives a little a little flavor, a little tooth, a little bit of comedy to the tension. But if it's the Fortress of Solitude, what are you going to be the polar bear outside? Like, it could be the snowflake or the chair or the or the the chamber where you lose your powers. I don't know. We're gonna have to wait and see. Sure. Uh, well, I've got one bit of news which uh, caught my eye. I think I'd, I'd read this before, but I, I I didn't see any details. So after abandoning. It's partnership with Fantasy Flight Games. Games Workshop apparently is now going to be partnering with WizKids. WizKids, yeah. To be releasing board and card games of the universe. The first thing they're doing is a is a, a 40k Dice Masters thing, which yeah. I find doubly uninteresting. I didn't really like the Dice Masters line, and I don't really care about 40k, except for one prominent exception. Uh, but uh, who knows where this is going. I mean, Wiz, as, as we've commented before, WizKids is making a major push. They've been redoubling their efforts in the hobby market to, to varying degrees of success. So this, to my mind, I'm curious where it's going. 
what they're going to be doing because Games Workshop is now redoubling their efforts as well. In apparently, they've already announced a Fury of Dracula going to be reprinted again. So that's an obvious candidate. Who knows what that's going to look like? Yeah, that's an obvious candidate. That that game, I don't like it, but it deserves to remain in print. Uh, although, really, it had a it had its third edition two minutes ago. I know. I, I'm not sure what kind of legs it's going to get if it does come out again unless they change it up again who knows sure it's it's just a strange world i don't understand why they broke the previous licensing arrangement maybe fantasy flight wanted too much money maybe fantasy flight didn't want to do it anymore maybe it was they were angry about the rune wars miniatures game i don't know uh, the only thing the other, the only other thing that caught my eye is uh slightly more details about the new edition of eclipse uh i'm of two minds about this i resent the fact that publishers can make me buy a game twice but I'm just enough of a sucker to keep doing it anyway I'm afraid I'm in the other boat on that one because both with Gaia Project and this Eclipse like I never bought Terra Mystica and now I've got what I feel is the better edition which is the Gaia Project and I never I like Eclipse not you know over the moon about it but I never ended up picking up and now that there's going to be a second edition you know why not it's just another opportunity for early adopters to get shafted and as that early adopter I I, I can't complain too bitterly because I keep falling for it and I keep giving them money. <laughs> they know. They know. They know. They know. All right, so that is the news. And on to our feature game, which is Space Hulk. Mark, why are we talking about a 30-year-old game? Uh, we're talking about a 30-year-old game because it's still amazing. It is. All right. Let me set the stage, all right? It is 1986. The movie Aliens has just come out. One of the greatest science fiction movies of all time. Three years later, two board games come out. One Space Hulk, the other Aliens the board game. And they go head to head and Space Hulk wins out hands down. Why? (laughs) Well, Games Workshop certainly has something to do with it. And the fact that even in its ancient first edition, the components were vastly better. We've talked about this before. The Aliens board game has some of the worst components of all time. Yeah, that's, that's, these are the points I was going to make, too. Games Workshop backing it, already have a fan base, already have some history in the 40K universe. And then, like you said, the components just blow it away, right? Full full miniatures, components, everything else, as opposed to, like, literally perforated cardboard that you, that you punch out yourself. Really badly perforated, yeah. too. Yeah. Which is unfortunate because the game itself was very good. Yeah. Why has Space Hulk won out over 30 years? So my points is just straight up theme. The theme of this game is ridiculous. So let me set up the the theme of 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 Space Hulk. You're like you're in a in a passage and and it's all quiet and suddenly Oh, your face is ripped off. So that is Space Hulk in a nutshell. You think everything's all nice and quiet. You think everything's going great. And then not so much. Death and despair for everyone. It's one of these games where it's, 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 not, it's not the first all against one. And it's not really an all against one. It really is a two player game. But it's one of the very first where you're playing sort of against the game. One player's playing the, like the game master type thing and you're, and you're, it's, you know, do or die struggling against all odds to get your objectives done. And I think they did a fantastic job with it. They captured the theme 
the, the essential tension of the sort of aliens setup. I think I think the comparisons to aliens are sometimes overblown, uh, but that central tension of these swarming clawed horrors everywhere is very very well captured in Space Hulk. That feeling of it's it's actually one of the things that I find really fascinating about it is, as you say, you've got this plan and everything's going fine, and you feel as the Space Marine player almost invincible sometimes because you're heavily armed and you've got range and they don't, and you're just stomping along murdering everything, and then everything can go south on a dime and it usually does, and then things start to fall apart and you're swarmed, and that is I think in part. A testament to the, the, the core rules, which I'll, I'll talk more about later in a second. But it's also a testament to the scenario design. That's something I'd like to stress right up front. One of the reasons why I think this game has stood the test of time is the scenarios are really, really well designed. In Especially the first one, Suicide Mission. Which, very much like Upfront, another game of that era... Upfront is a, uh, a game where you can basically recreate lots and lots of different levels of, of World War II combat with armored fighting vehicles and tanks and off-board artillery and things like that. Most of the time, I think 90% of upfront players never do that. They only play the first scenario, meeting engagement, over and over and over again. In part because it's a good scenario and the rest of the stuff is overcomplicated. Similarly with Space Hulk, Suicide Mission is so good that that is often all that Space Hulk players play. It's true. It was, it was like several years, at least five years before I had pulled it out. And I pulled the game out and I set up Suicide Mission without even looking at the map with like one mistake to a tile. It was like, that's yeah. how much I've played this game. And this this is actually a, a, a parenthetical objection I have with the newest fourth edition. Because it's now, it's it's had fourth, uh, four editions... 1989, 1996, 2009, 2014. The 2009 and 2014 editions are more or less the same, except the 2014 edition has a couple extra scenarios. But as a result, and I can't believe they did this, Suicide Mission isn't the first mission anymore in, in the fourth edition. It's not scenario number one. Really? They One of the new scenarios is scenario number one. That's... That should not be allowed. I yeah that that seems <laughs> sacrilegious. That seems absurd. I can't believe they did it that way. And it's they're just really I've I like look we both have played other scenarios and other scenarios are good. So, most of them are more sprawling, uh, and that's okay. But suicide, but suicide mission not only is really good and really tense, but it's also just a really good introduction to how the game works because you you're not given a whole bunch of special units. Uh, this is a little less true in, in the 3rd and 4th editions, but in the original one, it's just, you know, four guys with storm bolters and one guy with a flamer. Keep the flamer alive and torch this room. That's it. Yeah. All right. For those who have not played Space Hulk, it's like an action-based point system. You get five Marines go in. They each have four action points a turn. You have to finish with a particular Terminator before you go on to the next. You spend your four action points either shooting, moving, all sorts of different actions. Then the Steeler can go, and they get to start with cool chits they're blips just like from aliens it's like just movement and uh, some of the versions they're actually just zeros it was just movement like rats or it could be diversions or it could be anywhere from one to three in the standard game and the other games when are up to six sometimes ridiculous numbers and then if they come in with a line of sight then you flip them over and suddenly it's the genius's turn they have six asymmetrical they both had different powers and you know you know you know basically different right so they have six action points as opposed to four. Way better in hand-to-hand combat. We used to say that uh, uh, Gene Stealer versus Terminator combat reads like a Gene Stealer menu. It's like, uh, you know, Terminator uh, smoothie. You know, rip off top, insert claw, blend to preferred uh, <laughs> consistency. 
And it was great. It was one of those great moments, right? Because in the combat, Terminator rolls 1d6, whereas the Gene Stealer gets to roll 3d6, and the highest die wins. So it's almost impossible. But those moments where it's the crucial and the Terminator, you know, either stands off his la- the Stealer's last action point or actually wins the combat, it's like one of those, you know, moments you talk about for, for days to come. Absolutely. Every, every session of Space Hulk that I've played... Uh, has been has had at least those great moments of tension that a lot of games aspire to, but but many don't. One of the core mechanics of the game is Overwatch. You put these Marines on Overwatch, and they basically fire at anything that moves. That's another change they put into Fourth Edition, by the way, that I don't approve of. In Fourth Edition, you don't have to fire when on Overwatch; you get to choose. Yeah, that's that's my one big also sac- also sacrilege. With each edition, they seem to take more and more tools out of the Gene Stealer arsenal, and you might as well just make it, you know card driven or app driven or something else because if you take away all these tools it doesn't become a game for them anymore right if their hands are tied on all these things well you can't you know move it out of the out of the hallways to make them shoot or stuff like that then i don't know i didn't like the change but yeah it's but to, to me the quintessential space hulk experience is when the gene stealer has built up a sizable force of gene stealers and a space marine is on Overwatch, and it's just a question of can they get to him before they're all mowed down? And this happens in many scenarios, if not all of them. And it's just, I move a space, roll to see if he's dead. I move a space, roll to see if he's dead. And part of the gamer brain of me is thinking, this is actually kind of dumb. But because the asymmetry is so well done, because the scenarios are so well done, and because it's just genuinely tense because you know of this asymmetry, it's really, really engaging. And then you hope... You know, as a space marine player, you hope you don't jam. You hope you you, you blow them all away. As the gene stealer player, you figure, well, sooner or later, I'm going to have my, my my moment because that's what that's very much what it is about the gene stealer moment. No, uh, gene stealer player knowing when to seize that moment, and it's just it's it's just such a compelling, tight design. And I wish, you know, Games Workshop. I rag on them all the time because I don't have any interest in Warhammer 40k or Warhammer Fantasy, which is now called Age of Sigmar. But when they do boxed games. They often produce really good stuff. I mean, back in the heyday, they had, you know, Warhammer Quest, they had Necromunda, and they had more time to bringing back Necromunda. They brought back Warhammer Quest. They've got other weird stuff, like uh, Gangs of Kamara, which I haven't tried. A game called Death Watch Overkill, which is probably the quintessential 40k uh, uh, title. They, you know, Revenge of Grimdark, uh, Urge of the Necrofiends, I think is probably going to be the next thing they, they, they put out. Uh, Blood Bowl has been basically more or less in print for about 25 years. Not not really to my taste, but a solid design. And it's it's great that they're that they're coming back to this. When in 2009, when they were reprinting Space Hulk Third Edition, it came completely out of nowhere. No one was expecting it. It was just so welcome because they have all when they when they put their minds to it, they're able to put out these really compelling designs. Yeah, that was the golden age. I was just looking up like a year. The year before that, that's when Blood Bowl came out. And in this year, when Space Hulk first came out, so did uh, Hero Quest and Advanced Hero Quest. All came out in that same year. Yeah. And so did, uh, finally enough, the very first edition of Arkham Horror. Not not the, oh, fan- really? not the Fantasy Flight the, one. Yeah, the, the Chaosium Retrogonius yeah, one. Yeah, that was the same year that, that came out. Yeah. That being said, what was I going to say? We're not going to talk about the bad things. I'm talking about uh, that this was the game that did it for me. Like, literally, I went to a gaming convention. All I played was 40K. They didn't really have the Terminators out then. You knew about them, but not so much. I came upon this game, and they were playing, you know, the 20-turn defense mission, Mm. which is, I think, is the second best mission in the game. I like it, too, yeah. 
And I just thought that these were some sort of like weird robot, you know, turrets. And this was some sort of tower defense game. And these aliens were coming in and I was just blown away by, you know, because I'd never seen it. Of course, I played, you know, the Axe and Allies and Risk and all these other games, but I had not played anything like this. You know, and I, you know, I was, you know, in my 11 or 12, you know, I got my dad, he wrote out a check off to, you know, like 100 miles away, you know, paid ridiculous shipping and a ridiculous price. Like, you know, this was 30 years ago. And $100 for a board game, we think, is a lot now. That is how much I paid for that game 30 years ago. And it came, and I put the models all together with two-part epoxy, not even <laughs> not even plastic glue, got them together. And, man, was that game overplayed. It was, like, worn down to little nubs. It was it was well-received by everyone, for sure. Well, since we're sharing stories of nostalgia, my first experience with Space Hulk was actually with the PC game. Which was uh, a strange attempt to... You could do it turn-based, kind of, but it also tried to introduce a sort of uh, real-time version, which kind of made it look like a first-person shooter. Anyway, it was a strange, uh, albeit noble effort. And it had this incredibly memorable, cheesy song uh, during, during the opening, which, was, which, which stuck in my head. <laughs> anyway, that was my first exposure to it. When I was actually able, when I was exposed into the broader world, uh, my first kind of hobbyist game was actually BattleTech. And when I was exposed to, to Space Hulk at the time, I was uh, thirteen, fourteen. I, I didn't, I didn't know any better, and so I, I didn't like how simple it was. You know, I thought, well, shouldn't I be able to? build a Terminator with, like, a list of 50 million different options and things like that? No. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I was I was infatuated with customizing things and everything needed to be customized. Like, no, look, Space Hulk is what Space Hulk is. And I've, over the years, they've tried to introduce things like, uh, you know, you could play as Imperial Guard or you could bring the Eldar or whatever. I noticed in the uh, latest issue of, of White Dwarf, you can introduce Gene Steeler cults. Um, I'm not persuaded that any of that is good for the game. Uh, it's the, 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 the core simplicity, that strong asymmetry between the, the, the ranged powerhouses and the basically whirling balls of razors, I think is what sells it. Yeah, the very chess-like movement. You know exactly how far the Steelers can move. Yes. You know exactly how far you can move. You know where you need to go. And it's just, you know, making that, that decision, that key moment. Am I going to round this corner this turn? Am I going to have what it takes? That's- yeah. It's it's a very deterministic game, which is actually one of the one of the things that I least like about Space Hulk. It's very I've talked about this already. I don't like puzzles, and usually in Space Hulk, some of the key decision points revolve around little mini puzzles. How do I solve this particular corridor challenge? It's less about tactics and more about sort of a spatial puzzle, in many ways. And in almost all other games that have special puzzles like that, I want nothing to do with them because it's just not to my taste. But Space Hulk pulls it off because of, again, the tightness of the gameplay and, and the, the compelling nature of the theme and the asymmetry. Uh, and yeah, Suicide Mission is a puzzle that I have yet to, thankfully, because of all the, the different ways that different players can approach it. And because of the influence of dice, it's not a solvable puzzle. That's why, again, I'll still play Suicide Mission any day of the week because it's not... It hasn't been reduced to a simple algorithm whereby it's obviously solved. There are good plays and bad plays. And I'm not going to say that, you know, someone can reinvent the wheel. It's a relatively constrained scenario. There's no room for incredibly bold master strokes of strategery. Uh, but nonetheless, there's still room for clever play, knowing when to push your moment, knowing, knowing how to take care of it and cover the odds. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's the most puzzly game that I love, probably. 
All right, are we done stroking the e-peen of Space Hulk? Now, do we have do you have any bad points you want to bring up? My bad points are just the dice rolling. So in Space Hulk, you're rolling d6s all the time, and sometimes they can be very unforgiving. And that's all I have bad to say about it. For me, it's less about the die rolling during combat and more about the uh, command point pulls. Because one thing we we didn't mention for those who haven't played the game. Yes, all your, your Space Marines have four actions, but collectively they can share a pool of command points, which means they can do extra actions, and you get one to six every turn. If your leader is still alive in the third and fourth editions, and I, I really like the third edition. I agree with you that there are some features of first that I miss. Second edition was just weird. Let's just set it aside. Yes. But in when you, if your leader is alive, you can, after you draw, you can redraw. But sometimes, if you're just stuck with one or two command points every turn, you never really get to four, five, or six, it can be really tough and really frustrating. Because again, this is a game about pushing your luck and knowing when to make that big push. And if you never get a lot of command points, it can be real, real frustrating to do yes, that. Yes, these command points, you supplement your Terminator's action points, which they get each get four, and whatever you draw a number between one through six, you can supplement at any time, even during their turn, after their turn, during the Gene Stealer turn, you can supplement, well, depending on what edition you play, you can use them, but you can supplement your actions with these with these command points. So I've thought of all sorts of different ways to change it up, but unfortunately, the way that they have seems to be the most balanced for now, even though it's the most uh, hair-pulling outage. It, the, the rule set is so simple and so clean, it's very resistant to house ruling. You change one little thing and everything might go up a window. And that's part of its strength and part of its weakness. It's, you know, classics are the way they are for a reason. And, uh, you know, for, for, for a hobby that is always obsessed with the newest, latest thing, this is one of those few games that can unambiguously be called a classic. It was, it had been, it had been played, it had been played for, for many years, even before Settlers came out. So, um... For sure. So this is a game, if it was not in your collection, you'd gladly buy it again? Oh, absolutely. Look, here's the thing. It's an expensive game, and as I've said, I, I, I'm throwing far too much money at the hobby as it is, but I, I, I spent a moment trying to think if I own a game that is more physically, physically well-produced than Space Hulk 3rd Edition. It has these thick, embossed tiles. If you've never seen a Space Hulk 3rd Edition tile, I encourage you to go try to look at one. It's, it's, it's basically... It's got physical detail on it it's not you know like miniatures terrain or anything like that but the artwork is it's all very grimdark so if you don't like that it's not going to do anything for you but the embossing is beautiful they're thick 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 tiles the miniatures of course are gorgeous uh some of the gene stealer models are a little too big and bulky so they don't quite fit i guess that would be another minor complaint i wish the gene stealer models had that same level of detail but some of the poses were a little more functional uh but everything in that game is absolutely beautiful I'm I'm torn between these new miniatures and the old miniatures. Really? To, well, there's something to be said about lining up like a whole hall, hallway with these all these Steelers, you know, streaming down all in the same pose. You know, it just has this more imposing look to it than all these like weirdly shaped things. You know, wherever I know, I just I'm old school, I guess. To each their own. I don't know how old school you can claim to be, though, Walker. This is another complaint I have against the game. That's that Walker doesn't play with the timer. Why don't you play with the timer? I, I let, 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 me, let me set it up. Here's the thing. And this is actually one of those uh, great things about uh, how a game design can subtly influence players' perceptions of, of the game, both thematically and mechanically. The gene stealers are supposed to be lightning quick. 
incredibly fast reflexes. They're very, very speedy and they're quick and they can uh, change on a dime. The Gene, uh, the, the, the Terminators, on the other hand, the Space Marines, are supposed to be these plodding, very deliberative uh, figures. So as a result, what they do, and this is this, this, this turning it on its head really fascinates me. So the Space Marines, being slow, have to play on a timer, which means that the Space Marine player has to play fast. And that encourages mistakes. A friend of mine back in, in Cambridge always used to say, uh, play faster, misplays are interesting. And he's actually absolutely right. Misplays make games interesting, especially when they're, when they're puzzle-like. And that pressure on the Space Marine player to act quickly both represents, number one, the fact that they are physically slower uh, with, and that, that mismatch, having to play faster because you're slower, is, is great. Uh, and it really helps amp up the tension because you know that you've got this incredibly deliberative series of puzzles to solve, but you don't have the time to do it. And so it helps increase that sense of panic. Meanwhile, the Gene Stealer player, because the Gene Stealers are lightning fast, get to take as long as they like with their turns. Now, this, this, this I guess, could sometimes lead to AP, although I've never experienced someone taking too long. Uh, but again, because they're so fast, they get to play slow, I find really interesting conceptually. But you don't play with the timer. Why not? Well, I, I, had, an, I had an answer, but then I discontinued while you were talking. More like, just like you said, there was never an AP problem. The Space Marine player always went quickly. But then while you were talking, I thought, just having the timer there is going to mentally affect you and make you make mistakes. So it's probably a better idea to use it. It's just like I said, when we when we played, it was never you know so essential we win. We're just so having so much fun playing it that that the Space Marine player didn't overanalyze anything. He just took his turn, did what he needed to do. He never like took back moves or anything. It was just like this is what I'm doing. This is you know my group going through this this death the death house. The the timer I think is the single most thematic component in the game. It's it's the single component that helps sell the theme better than any of the sculpted Space Marines. And parenthetically I would like to stress, I don't know how you feel about this. When I'm talking about the theme, I'm talking mostly about the feel that you get when you're playing the game. Exactly. We talked about this a little bit before we talked about theme. To me, theme is successfully executed when it gives you a, a good a good feeling or an evocative feeling while you're playing it. The rest of the theme, the story, who these jerks' names are, the fact that they still are sending infantry fighters into massive ships to fight these aliens, like, none of that makes any sense. And every time I try to read it, it sounds dumb to me. I'm sorry if it's your bag, but every time I try to hear their explanations for what the hell is going on in these aforementioned space hulks, it makes zero sense to me. And it just sounds like this artificial excuse to get the gameplay to work out the way that it does. So... The broader theme I find absurd and unsatisfying for me. It, it's it's just that tension, that specific feeling of tension and being overwhelmed. Well, that's that's the other thing I just thought of while you were talking is if this movie Aliens had not come out, would you have the visual feel and the sense of tension and the theme of Space Hulk? Would it be there as much as it is without that movie? Probably not. I think it really did. Like thinking back, I think it was an essential part to this game. Yeah, because the Gene Stealers are obvious xenomorph ripoffs. You know, the, the the Ridley Scott movie, Alien, when it introduced that creature just visually and viscerally, just, just the, the, the sense of that creeping killing machine uh, was so incredibly influential, both in terms of cinema and even just in terms of board game design. So I agree, I don't think we'd get that, that same conceptual hook if we hadn't already been exposed to this this creature in uh, the movies. That having been said, 
it's now sort of so so Games Workshop rips off the sort of uh, uh, Giger esque uh, Ridley Scott monster. They rip it off wholesale and they make an entire faction out of it. And now, many years later, they're getting their own uh, just rewards because uh, Blizzard Starcraft is basically ripping off vast sections of 40k lore visually and, and thematically. So uh, I guess what goes around comes around. Also, I want to talk about, remember the first edition box said it was a 3D role-playing game. Yes. Interesting <laughs> claims. Yeah, I wonder if that was just to, you know, lure in the, the role-players out there and thinking that they were going to get some sort of science fiction aliens game. Yeah. And I've, I've seen, like I said, there, there's, there's this uh, document that was kicking around for a while. I don't know if it's still being updated, called the Space Hulk Bible, which had all these hundreds of pages of additional rules and different factions you could use and blah, 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 blah. I'm, there might very well be campaign modes kicking around. And indeed, since every game now has to have a campaign, I'm sure there are some people clamoring well, for a campaign. There was a campaign book that you could get. It's a hardcover book that they really? sold. Yeah. Did it have... Was it about like I, individual space marines surviving from mission to mission? That I don't remember. Because I, know, that, I know I had it, but it was so long ago, I don't I don't remember if there was like an ongoing... like I know I, I made one myself about keeping stats and, and bringing uh, Terminators from mission to mission, but... Whether this book did it or not, I'm not sure. Which always struck me as kind of odd. I mean, it is, even before you play the game, the first mission is called Suicide Mission, and it's called that for a reason, because people are going to die. And all these, even even though as a Space Marine player, you've only got, you know, usually five to ten Space Marines against an unlimited number of Gene Sealers, those guys too are disposable. You know, no one's making it out alive. <laughs> this is all about, everybody yeah. dies. So I never quite understood the, the, the push for, for campaign elements. It's the same thing that I said uh, about Massive Darkness. Some games don't want to have campaign modes. That's right. And to me, Space Hulk is definitely one of them. Yeah, it's what falls in the same thing. It, it doesn't need a campaign mode. It doesn't need a fi- fifth and sixth player. Exactly. <laughs> so that's Space Hulk. Multiple computer games. Multi- four editions of the board game. Even, an, even a card game based off of Space Hulk. Yes, I think it's definitely you know la- you know resisted the tides of time, and it's still a fantastic game. Absolutely. So on to the topic. What's our topic today? Today we're going to be talking about New Year's resolutions in gaming. So th- we're recording this on the first day of 2018, and so this is an opportunity to look look ahead to the new year and what we want the new year to look like in gaming. And so I've got a whole bunch of... I spent some time thinking about how I want to spend my time gaming in the coming days. Walker, what is it that you want out of 2018? Speaking of gaming specifically, like actual gaming, just be be welcoming to new players. Make sure all new players are welcome. Um, be patient. Like, we're trying to grow this hobby. Try not to make it the click that sometimes it turns into when... When people are coming by your table, don't just wave them off like, oh, they won't understand, they don't get it, or they don't... Try to try to show them how fantastic this hobby is, how how these mechanisms work together, and how that moment when your whole plan comes together and you see the game, you know, when you know the designer has made this game for us and he knows, you know, that moment where you see his vision come to life and just it, try to show them how this happens. That would be... Hopefully I can get that to at least 10 people this year. That would be fantastic. 
it's funny that you put it that way because you start off talking about how important it is to be welcoming to people and then you immediately start talking about the game as a collection of mechanisms rather than a social experience. And I, <laughs> I point this out because I, I'm the exact same way. I have that same set of, of assumptions and, and, and weird blinders. I have the same thing written down. I have written down, uh, start being a better evangelist for the hobby because it is, it is about people. And I came to a realization very shortly on in as, as a board gamer, which is that who you're playing with can is often more important than what you're playing. I I commented before when talking about uh, Twilight Imperium Fourth Edition, which is an overlong game that I loathe, but I still had a good time because I liked everyone else around the table, and uh, you know we could joke and talk, and 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 it was it was good company. All of that having been said, it is important, you're right, to resist that temptation to be like, well, I'm sitting down with my friends in this public venue. Everybody else can 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 go leave. And this is especially troubling for new players, if, either because you don't know them or because you do know them and they're a little bit annoying, uh, which sometimes happens. And you're right, it's you're much better at this than I am. I'm sure this this will surprise zero of our viewers. Walker is a much more tolerant individual who's much more welcoming and gregarious of new people. I hate people. I like my friends, but I hate people. And I need to, to stop doing that So I, because it is important to grow the hobby. And it's especially important to be welcoming, particularly to... Uh, the and, and, and also just to be conscious of the fact that Gaming is overwhelmingly dominated by middle-aged, overweight white dudes. And so you need to be especially welcoming to people who are uh, maybe in their 60s and 70s, maybe the new, the, the, the new kids in their 20s or, or, or whatever, uh, women and minorities. It's important to make sure that this hobby can continue because if it, if it comes to the... the if, if we're doing really well right now, but if the market turns and they stop tr- putting out new stuff... Uh, then we're just going to be, you know, 70 years old playing the same old stuff. and uh... Playing old games? No. no. Well, no. It's it, not going to happen. <laughs> that, that was if, if, it's, if it's not out this week, then I'm not playing it. <laughs> you understand my point. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> what else you got, Walker? I've got researching Kickstarters more. Mm. Just because it's shiny and wonderful models and it's by, you know, a designer and or a company that I enjoy or has always put out good stuff. I'm going to, oh, I, I shudder at the thought, actually read the rule book first and not just blindly pay the money and wait for it to come up and decide then whether it's good or bad. Yeah, as a corollary to the whole nobody reads rule books anymore, it used to be the case that people demanded a work-in-progress rulebook before they would pledge. And now, people aren't even happy with that. They want to see a video of their favorite, quote-unquote, board game journalist playing the damn thing. Uh, or or of even a rules explanation, of a video rules explanation before the game is released. But whatever whatever it is, yeah, doing your due diligence before Kickstarters, I, I, I don't want to get complacent. I think I got a reasonably good handle of this in 2017. I stopped pledging for things unless... It was only going to be available through Kickstarter, or if I knew I'd be able to sell it in the secondary market uh, for for a profit. Uh, yes, I'm one of those people. I don't buy things exclusively to, for a profit, but I, I I do. I feel a little bit more comfortable pledging if I have a reasonably good sense that if I don't like the game, I'll be able to flip it and and get something good out of it. Now I want to go to my next thing. I know I'm, I'm doing two in a row, but it's the other side of the coin. You were just downstairs, and you probably saw the gaping holes. Because I bought another shelving unit, and even though I said I got to do my due diligence, those holes need to be filled. They're like holes in my heart. <laughs> 
if those holes aren't filled with with games, these big gaping spaces in my shelf, then I'm not a whole person. So I'm going to be working on that as well. <laughs> Best of luck with that. Well, as a corollary to uh, being somewhat nicer and being a better evangelist for the hobby, this was actually pointed out on uh, Reddit. We had a, a we had some feedback on Reddit about our podcast. Uh, most of which I think you said you dutifully ignored uh, because you said uh, no one can tell me what to do. I am a god among men, which I thought was a little. I mean, that was a strange comment to make, but what you know, whatever to each their own. Um, I think I need to make a distinct effort to start being more tolerant of interruptions during not not during the gameplay itself because I I, I think I'm pretty tolerant in that when someone's when it's someone's turn and they pause to take out their phone and look at it, I haven't, you know, smashed it in their face immediately, which is normally my my inclination. But mostly during uh, game rules explanations. I take game rules explanations very seriously and I put a no small degree of thought into how to do them. I, I used to be an educator and so I, I, I take this rather seriously. I try to use signposting and lattice work and I, I'm very I'm usually very conscious of when I introduce which concept when. And so when someone asks me about, you know, endgame scoring, when I'm just introducing the notion of a turn structure, I'm occasionally, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, a huge asshole. And I should probably stop doing that, uh, again, under the aegis of being more welcoming. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to devote myself in 2018 to being a more conscientious rules explainer. More welcoming, like when people are new to the game. So they feel more welcome. Exactly. Or even people that I've known for maybe all of, you know, two <laughs> weeks or something, and they're not ready for me to be a tremendous douchebag. <laughs> they don't understand that we're doing it for comic relief. And it's and not personal. Sure, it's a joke. Let's go with that. Let's yeah. totally go with it e- being a joke. E- yes, exactly. Uh, similarly, uh, this, is, this is kind of a crawler that I'd like to start being a better playtester. A couple of designers, because they clearly have no judgment in character... Uh, occasionally um, have me playtest designs or ask me to. And I always, I'm a little better at saying no now, but I still say yes far too often, in part because I'm not particularly good at dealing with print and play components. I'm not very good with crafts. I'm not very handy. I'm, I'm clumsy. I've got sausage fingers. I don't have good a good printer or anything like that. And I'm also just very bad at convincing people to... To play test games with me, so I, I need to I need to be a little bit more conscientious about that. It, it's it's a, we we ourselves emphasize the need for blind play testing and for sending it out to other groups, and it's all very hypocritical of me to say yes, yes, people need to do this if I'm not willing to put in the effort myself to to help that. And so to that end, in 2018, when I say I'm going to try to help someone with a design, I'm going to try to follow through and be a better person about that. Yeah, if we don't if we don't make steps forward to make changes, then no changes will be made. Yeah, I think uh, I think it was Reiner Knizia who said, "Be the change you want to see in the world." That was him, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, in terms of what I want to play in 2018, I spent some time thinking about it, and I think we've gotten pretty good, especially lately, at balancing new stuff with old stuff. Uh, we're yeah, we're still you know members of the cult of the new for all intents and purposes, and we probably play far more new games than than lots of other members of the hobby, but we've gotten better at, at pulling out our old favorites so that they stay in rotation. Uh, but one thing that I do want to do is play more two-player games. Uh, things like Space Hulk, things like Claustrophobia, things like uh, Shades Buyer, just in terms of, you know, the Game Workshop Conflictathons, but also other things like uh, Battlecon. I got a new game recently called Sakura Arms, which is a, a two-player card battling game that looks interesting that I want to try. 
And I've uh, I've gotten out of the habit of trying to, you know, specifically play two-player games with people, and I'd like to get back into that. As a consequence, also, I'd like to... I don't... I, I didn't play nearly as much uh, tabletop miniatures in 2017 as I wanted to. I'm a huge fan of Infinity. It's it's one of my top ten games, and it's my favorite miniature system. I'd like to play more Infinity in 2018, which is also a two-player game. Maybe this is the year I finally give War Machine a try, but I always find excuses not to. Legion. Legion's coming out. Maybe that'll be the, the miniature game. I know there's a bunch in our group that are looking forward to it. They should, They just showcased even more stuff that's going to be coming out. And it's Star Wars. Oh, for the love of all things good and holy. <laughs> I'll try it, sure. That'll be, that was one of my things I was thinking about earlier, too. My New Year's resolution is to get down, because now I have the space, is to get some more painting done. So we'll see if, if people are more inclined to Legion, then, then there's that. I might paint, and there's also the new Simon steampunk game that's shipping soon. Rise of the Moloch. Another type of game that I like to play more in, in 2018 is uh, war games. You know, the actual consens, the, the, the historical war games. Uh, I've been trying to get a game of Triumph and Tragedy together forever. Uh, Successors 3rd Edition. You know, the, 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 really, the really brilliant hallmarks of the genre, those are the multiplayer ones. Obviously, playing more two-player games, that, that would include more uh, two-player war games as well. Uh, I've I've had a little bit of difficulty finding local partners for a variety of reasons, but uh, who knows? Maybe maybe 2018 is going to be my year. Also, um, splatter games. I want to play more splatter games in 2018. I've been just re-exposing myself to some of their uh, earlier stuff. Uh, Antiquity. I brought down off the shelf uh, first time in a long time. I don't know if you've tried that. No, I've heard of it though. I definitely want to try it. Oh great! Well then, that'll be great. More food chain magnate, More all food the chain, all yes. the other great splatter stuff. Maybe sometime in the future, we'll. Uh, one of our users actually suggested that we do a segment on splatter games as our feature topic, and maybe we'll do that sometime in the future, especially after uh, gallerist splatter game. No, no, I know the the automotive one is a splatter game. Kanban? Yeah, is that not? I'm gonna stop talking now. But they were all designed by Uwe Rosenberg, right? They're all uh, they're, they're all, all Uwe they're Rosenberg all, games, all offshoots we'll of just, Feast for Odin, right? Please, yeah, let that out, yeah. And what I thought for sure that Kanban and no, 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 very much not. Splatter is food chain magnate antiquity uh, duck dealer, but not a lot of people like that. The Great Zimbabwe roads and boats, okay. In- Indonesia. 2018, uh, I was pretty pleased with 2017, both in terms of the releases and my ability to play games, and I'm hoping that 2018 will be another banner year. And uh, But most of all, I guess my resolution in 2018 is to keep doing this podcast and uh, keep telling, telling, you, also true. Yeah. telling you how wrong you are. Telling you how to play games properly, because I think that's my main mission, because you're doing it wrong, and I will guide you on the right path. It's a very noble man. Yeah, I'll take the hit for everyone. So that, I think, just about wraps us up. On our topic of 2018 and our New Year's resolutions. It sure does. So with that in mind, uh, thank you very much for joining us once again for So Very Wrong About Games. And we hope to see you week after week here in 2018. You can find us on Facebook. Our Facebook group is where we get most of our correspondence. And we read all your comments. And we, uh, well, I try to accommodate them. Uh, Walker just likes to read them to ignore them. If you would like to send an email directly to Walker to tell him how wrong he is... Just send an email to justrolledadice at gmail.com. That's J-U-S-T-R-O-L-L-D-A-D-I-C-E, because Walker also can't spell. Just a quick note, if I don't read them, then I can't 
really ignore them. So I, I have to unfortunately read them so I can purposely ignore them. It's a process. It's a it very is. important process. You can find me on Twitter at all the games you like. Thank you very much for joining us, and we hope to see you again soon. Peace! You've been listening to So Very Wrong About Games, produced by Michael Walker and edited by Mark Bigney. Special thanks goes to What Does It Eat for generously allowing us to use their most excellent song, FOS, as our theme. You can find them at whatdoesiteat.com. You can reach us by email at soverywrongaboutgames at gmail.com or on Twitter at sowronggames. Thanks very much. See you next time, and always, try to be right, but remember you are so very wrong. <laughs>